The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives a feel good sound. Traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes. Got her wings on, too. You know, I've never seen a better stew. Oh, Betty and the Jets. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about falling bubbles, beef sauce, bananas, a giant misunderstanding, turtles, dessert balls, assholes, and rain hats. <laughs> A few months back, you know, I took that big trip to the Cook Islands and I flew on Air New Zealand. And uh, I never mentioned this before, but I think that their safety video, their men in black safety video has to be one of the best safety videos ever. You guys should check out the video. It's really good because they have their uh, soccer players, you know, their football players who, you know, that's very popular in uh, New Zealand. They have them singing and they have the people from the movie and they have the little dog. I mean, it's fantastic. So that's the going to be the music for this episode. So I'm working the back alley, come up from break, and I've been told that this girl's been cut off. So I'm thinking it's a, this girl that was in the back row here, and all of a sudden this other girl comes stumbling back here. I'm thinking, oh, so you must be the drunk that everybody's talking about. You didn't say that, though. Well, I didn't tell her she's drunk, of course yeah. not. So she's back here for like 20 minutes, and I'm like, look, the seatbelt sign's on, I need you to go back to your seat because it's getting really bumpy. Oh, 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 okay. Well, I need to go to the restroom first. Okay, so she goes over to the lab on the left side of the aircraft. When she comes out, I'm back here by myself. Did you take a picture of her? I had to. She had this outfit on. She did. She did. You have to describe it. It's a... It's, it's a, a banana outfit. It's like a, a banana length, suit. A full-length banana outfit. And she yeah. says to me, do I look appealing? <laughs> and I said no. And so she peels the top of it back and says, How about now? <laughs> so then one of the flight attendants put on the banana suit? Yes, and walked through the cabin and picked up trash. As a banana. As a banana. Split. <laughs> 
Let's get this started. But before this plane's departed, obey instructions from your crew. I was working a flight back from London, and uh, it was totally full in first class, and there's five of us working up there. You know, it's not a big galley. It's always a tight quarters, and uh, I was flying with a nice crew, and um, one of the girls I was working with was pouring a drink. She was holding a can of ginger ale. It somehow slipped out of her hand straight down, so the bottom of the can hit the ground. We were all standing pretty close to each other so there were three of us real close to where she dropped this ginger ale and when it hit it went straight up like a ginger ale water fountain up all of our skirts and on our legs and I, it even got on my face that's how fine you know it gets a little uh, momentum when the, the can's going down it hits it goes straight up so we were flying with a straight guy up there and he thought this was the funniest thing he'd ever seen because you know we all had gotten like a um ginger ale douche <laughs> in our uniforms <laughs> and he's just laughing and laughing he was like just bent over laughing the one girl she really got wet up her skirt and she was taking a hot towel and she's trying to dry up her skirt he just thought this was he just thought this was great <laughs> and so I mean sometimes really what are the chances like not a few minutes later I say to him um and I wasn't sure if I should say anything because you know maybe I shouldn't be looking there but all of a sudden I notice he's got a spot on his um his pants on his fly, like right where his pecker is. <laughs> He's got like a big brown spot. And I was like, um, uh, you have a um spot? And he's like, where? And I'm like, there? And he looks down and he's like, oh my gosh, it's karma. It's because I was laughing at you guys with your ginger ale up your skirts. <laughs> now, and I'm like, what is it? Chocolate? And he's like, no, it's, I think it's meat sauce. I swear that's what he said. We were serving beef and it had a sauce on it. I mean, really, what are the chances that it would be beef sauce on his pecker? On board must be secured and safely stowed up in the locker, overhead or underneath the seat instead. This next story came from a listener named Joss. And oh my goodness, this, I had no idea I never heard anything about this story. I, I would have thought, you know, in all these years of asking people about airline stories, I would have heard it before. But this is from Radiolab. I would encourage you to listen to the whole thing. It was really good. Um, it's at radiolab.org. I never watched the TV show uh -huh. when I was young. But it's weird. Like, we, uh, when I was seven, we still, we would say all the time, like, smile, you're on candid camera, even though I'd never seen the show. So it was like the idea of the show was like, in a way, way bigger than the actual show. Yeah, it kind of became a meme, but it, but it was less about kind of investigating human behavior and more about vanity in this weird way. It was like this idea that you, this tiny sliver of your private life could be excised and then broadcast to the world. Um, and that idea, that idea would get away from Alan Funt and it, it would go all over the world and then it would come right back and bite him in the butt in this really funny and strange way. What, what happened? Well, okay, it starts like this. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Good, come on in. Hi. We'll start the story with this woman. Oh, are we on now? Marilyn Funt. Uh, the ex-wife of Alan Funt. And we're on the... Do you want me to start where we're on the plane? Okay. So it's February 3rd, 1969. New York Airport. 
That's Marilyn Fund's daughter, Alan Fund's daughter, Juliet Fund. My mom, my dad, my baby brother, and I are on a flight. Straight flight to Miami. And I'm about one and a half, so me, I don't have any personal recollection of it. But she says she knows this story because it's like family lore. So we were in first class and we're on the flight. A largely uneventful flight. For about the first 20 minutes. Maybe an hour, who knows? They're about 100 miles or so offshore, and you know, they get their meals, they go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, a man stood up in the back of the flight, and he took out a knife, and he put it to the throat of one of the flight attendants, and he walked her all the way down the center aisle and into the cockpit, passing every passenger on the flight. I did hear noises which were a little bit different in the back. That's Fred Weaver? Retired Eastern Airlines pilot. He was one of the flight crew, and uh, next to him... Yes, sir. Co-pilot Lowell Miller. They were expecting breakfast. You know, I hear the knock on the door, and I just open the door. And I turned around to see who it was. There she is. The flight attendant. With the hijacker behind her with the knife up against her throat. He was agitated, saying, uh... Cuba, Cuba. He also was saying that his friend had a bomb in the back of the airplane. I knew right then. I said, uh-oh, here we go. The stewardess was walking around, talking with all the passengers, asking them if anybody knew how to speak Spanish. That's Jim Zack. He was back in coach. He was 11 years old at the time. I didn't think much of it until... Uh, until the announcement came on the uh, loudspeaker. The pilot gets on and says, Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, we have some gentlemen up here that want to go to Cuba, so we're going to Havana. And then came the part of the story that I've been told was the waiting, the frozen, silent, staring at each other, waiting portion. But then this one woman... A few rows away. ...began to recognize my father. And she began to look and look back and forth to other folks and point a little bit, and there was a slow building of her certainty. And then... All of a sudden, she bolted up. ...and said... Wait a second. We are not being hijacked. It's a candid camera stunt. <laughs> I'm quoting him. The plane went absolutely crazy. Everyone started laughing. People began cheering. Oh, and look who's here. He's pulling one of his stunts. Stamping their feet. And the tension dripped off of them. Everyone's so relieved. People were lined up with their air sickness bags to get autographs from my father. <laughs> so then they relaxed. And through all of this, my dad is begging. No, no, it's not me. I'm not involved. We are being hijacked. And they said, come on, Alan. We know it's you. <laughs> so Alan Funt is trying to persuade people. He's not getting any purchase. He sees uh, uh, behind him, he sees a priest. <laughs> right. He runs over to the priest. And said, Father, will you please help me convince these people? Tell them this is no joke. This is not a stunt. That maniac is for real. And what does the guy say? 
You can't get me, Alan Funch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you don't. Are we supposed to see a guy with, with a cleric with a little collar and everything? Oh, no, you don't, Alan Funch. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Meanwhile, where is the hijack? Uh, terrifying people up in the cockpit. Oh, yeah, he stayed in the cockpit. But... Eventually, at some point, he hears this kind of commotion from first class. And so he does open the door. And he pokes his head out. And everybody begins to applaud and applaud and applaud. (laughs) We're not totally sure about that last detail. Might be an embellishment. But what seems clear is that around this time, Alan Funt is starting to feel kind of trapped. He'd been so successful at bugging the backstage, at mussing up the line between private and public and real life and showbiz, that he couldn't, when he needed to, he couldn't reassert that clear line. I was worried that he was going to come up with some idea to try to mitigate the situation and deal with it. Actually, what she says ended up happening was he got so frustrated that he decided to just deal with the hijackers himself. Yes. So he starts formulating a plan. To grab the guy and knock him to the floor, and my mother's saying, Don't you do anything! You idiot, I have two babies on this plane. Leave it alone! Sit down. Oh, so he's going to be like Zorro. Yes. Apparently the flight attendants had to tell him to sit down. Like, what happens now? Well, you you took it to the point where now the plane is landing in what I guess the people in the plane think is Florida. People in the front of the plane know it's right. Cuba. No, it's Cuba, correct. When we taxied into the terminal. We're greeted as the plane is opened by Cuban military officers. I saw a Cuban soldier. He had a gun in his hand and he had bandoliers, you know, with lots of bullets on it. And they've encircled the airplane. And it seems at this point, everyone on the plane, for maybe the first time, was like, oh. Everybody really got it. But it was a hijacking. That was finally the reveal, just really late. And the story goes, when they're getting off the plane, when these Cuban soldiers are escorting them off the plane, he was standing at his seat. And through a twisty aspect of human psychology, all the passengers were filing down the aisle past him. They began to take their feelings out on him. And they became angry at him. And each one of them had sort of their own grab bag of curses for him. As if he had tricked them, as if he had set them up in some way. And the last person in that line... Turned to my father and said... Smile my ass. (laughs) That did happen. (laughs) Smile my ass was a closing remark on the whole business. Smile my ass. Luckily, because I fly mainly international, I'm not really on that many delayed flights. Um, You know, there's more time in between flights and uh, it's just... It's just better in general. You don't usually have as many delays or reroutes or those types of things. And uh, But I was on a really long delay recently, and uh, we were hours late. And, you know, people obviously get upset, which is understandable. You know, I'm not happy about it either. But um, there was a woman, and she kept asking all these questions. And I kept telling her, well, um, I don't have any information right now because we haven't even left yet. So until we leave, you know, we have to fix the problem. And until we leave, then I can figure out how 
long it's going to take till we get there so I can know what time we're going to arrive. But until, you know, until we get going, I really don't have any information about, you know, your connecting flight or anything because I don't know how long of a delay we're going to be on. Anyway, I was trying to be nice and I was trying to tell her that I didn't have any answers. And she says, well, I understand that you don't have any answers, but you have to understand that I still have to ask the questions. And I was like, huh? I'm like, okay, go ahead and ask a bunch of questions. I don't have the answers to. Okay. Okay, so um, I met my husband in London, and he's French, and he decided to come over to the United States to live, and then we decided that we were going to get married. And we were just going to elope, go to the judge or whatever, and get married, but... Um, in Washington, D.C., Virginia area, they don't do that. They don't have judges. So we had oh. to call in this person called a civil celebrant. And they're just somebody who marries people. Right. Well, it came time that his visa was going to run oh. out. Oh, so, so had to get married? this is before, you know, it got really intense with getting married. Yeah. And But I think the movie Green Card was out already. So Actually, you had I to love the of, movie Green Card. Yeah, it's a great movie. So we're thinking about, you know, like he needs to know what color my underwear oh, you is. had to do and that whole thing. Well, you did later. Yeah, <laughs> you did. You actually had to do that stuff, like what toothpaste and all that. So, um, so his parents are going to come and my parents are coming and just maybe a handful of people are going to come to this wedding. And so my husband, um, well, I told him, you know, we I called my parents and said, I'm getting married. And my dad says, Put him on the phone. So he puts him on the phone. My husband's English isn't that good yet. What to ask for permission? So, yeah. No. So he goes, well, you need to ask me something. And you know, we're on speakerphone or whatever. And I'm like, ask him if you can marry me. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, can I? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was the marriage proposal or the what he asked for. My dad, yeah. So that was kind of pathetic. The wedding's like in a day or so, and Philippe keeps asking me, is there something I need to know? I mean, I know there's vows, and I'm like, don't worry, just just say exactly what this person, you know, the person leading yeah, like the, the wedding. Yeah. Right. The celebrant. It's um, a repeat back. Just repeat everything that they say, and he's like, I'm kind of sure I need to know. I'm like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. So <laughs> comes the wedding. And we're saying our vows, and I'm listening to them, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this might be a little harder than I thought. So it's, like, lengthy. Yeah, kind of. I mean, not really hard words or anything, but, you know, you you have have to to remember. remember. You don't just say, like, two, three words. You say maybe five or six, and that's a lot to (laughs) remember. And um, so we get to the part where they say, in sickness and in health. Oh, yeah. And he says, in sickness and in hell. Oh my God, you're kidding me, in sickness and in hell? And pretty much that <laughs> that sums it all up. <laughs> he got that part. In sickness and in hell. I was talking to this guy and he told this, I thought, really interesting story, but he didn't want to be recorded. He said he was in Ethiopia and he was doing volunteer work. I believe he was building a school. And uh, there were a couple days uh, during their trip that they uh, couldn't work on the school because it was a religious holiday. 
want to say it was Easter. So for these couple days, they sort of had off, you know, free time from their volunteer work. Uh, the people who ran the volunteer agency said, well, there's this famous lake, um, you know, a few hours from here, you can drive there and you can spend the night. And they thought, oh, great, that's a nice, you know, little R&R. And uh, they arrive at this place and it's dark. So really, it can't you know, really tell where they are or see the lake, but they uh, they get these little huts and the huts are made of mud and stick. And he said, they look pretty nice. You know, there was like a net over the bed and um, there wasn't electricity, but there were candles and uh, they had dinner. And then after dinner, you know, they had worked all day, uh, you know, building and uh, it was hot there, of course. So he thinks, well, you know, I'll, I'll you know, there's no electricity or anything. I guess I'll just... Uh, take a shower and go to bed. And so he uh, he's looking at the shower and he was happy there was a shower. But the the floor of the shower was made of mud. And, and he's thinking, well, then, then my feet are going to get all muddy. That kind of defeats the purpose of taking a shower if you're going to get mud on you. But he just took a shower anyway, and his feet are all muddy. And then he realizes that there's a uh, bucket of water there. And that's for you to rinse off your feet after you take your muddy shower. (laughs) And he thought this was funny. And he was going to go talk to his friends about the mud shower. And uh, he goes to get out of his his bungalow. And the door won't open. And it's not locked. And he's like, pushing on it. He's like, oh, there's like something in front of the door. He's like, what do they do? They lock you in here? How weird do they lock you in? Because there's like, wild animals around or something? Or he didn't know, but he thought, okay, well, you know, I guess that's, um, you know, what they do here, you know, when in Ethiopia. <laughs> so he goes to look at the bed, and the bed looks lumpy. And he's like, huh. So he, he takes down the blanket, and there's a sheet, and he decides to look under the sheet. And under the sheet, the bed is made of mud. It's a mud bed. <laughs> and he's thinking, okay, uh, you know, I guess that's I'm sleeping in a mud bed after my mud shower. So uh, he, he gets in the, the bed and it's not very comfortable, but he thinks, okay, turns out his candle. And it was just like a few minutes later, because he wasn't going to sleep very easily in his mud bed. He feels this like tickling on his back and he like jumps up, turns the, the, the lights, the candle, and there's a centipede a centipede in his mud bed and he starts screaming because <laughs> you know he's thinking you know centipedes can be dangerous and he can't you know I'm locked into my room and what am I gonna do and what if I need to go you know to the hospital what if this so he's screaming and the people who run the place he can hear them moving something in front of his door moving whatever it was that was blocking his door they're they're struggling with it and then they finally come in they're like what's wrong what's wrong he's like look there's a centipede that thing was crawling on my back what's a is it dangerous they're like no no it's not dangerous this one's not colorful so it's the colorful ones that are poisonous he's like oh great well what if there's a colorful one in here <laughs> so they kill the centipede throw it out the window and leave and he's like huh <laughs> so eventually he goes to sleep and the next morning, uh, you know, he really wants some coffee. And of course, he doesn't know. We have a coffee maker. There's no electricity. And he goes to leave his bungalow. And sure enough, that there's something in front of his door again. And he's thinking, I am not being locked in here. You know, what is what is what is up with this? So he pushes. and It's not budging. And he's like, it's something heavy in front of this door. So he's like, with all his might. And finally, he gets the door open and he gets out of his bungalow and he realizes it's a turtle. 
It's a giant turtle that was in front of his door, like almost a 200-pound land turtle. <laughs> you know, of all the things that could have been in front of his door, the last thing he expected was it to be a giant turtle. And he's looking around because now it's daylight, and there's like a hundred of these giant turtles just everywhere. And all the way down to the beach, there's turtles, and it's like one of the prettiest things he's ever seen, all these giant turtles around a pretty lake in Ethiopia. Okay, so we're just traveling together and it's uh, London and I just love the way they talk. Everything they say sounds more interesting. So what did someone say to you? Well, her son was sick. She had her son with her and he was sick and she said, Oh, I'm afraid he forgot to take his travel sick pills. <laughs> his what? His travel sick pills. <laughs> I'd like to thank any of you who, when you were going to buy something on Amazon, and you know, most of us do because they have everything, uh, you went to my website first, bettingthesky.com, click through my site, and it doesn't cost you any more, and it supports the show. Uh, I get emails every month about um, the links aren't there, and it's usually because you have your ad blocker on. And if you have your ad blocker on, then the links won't show. Uh, anyway, people, I like, I like to see what people buy. It just... Fun. So this month, people bought uh, Pom Pom's 25 Awesome Fluffy Projects, uh, Sherpa Pink Himalayan Salt, and a Buddhist Brown Wooden Bead Bracelet. <laughs> so anyway, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, please consider going through my website, BettyInTheSky.com. Doesn't cost you any more. Supports the show. Thank you so much. If a mask from overhead comes down, pull it down. So on a flight to Mumbai, there is a special dessert that's on the trays. It's a little sweet wheat ball and sugar syrup. And as desserts do from time to time, they'll fall off the trays. So we were serving passengers their meals. And of course, one of the desserts fell off the tray, set down this gentleman's tray with no dessert, and his ball was on another man's tray. So the passenger rings his flight attendant call button and says, excuse me, sir, this man has two lovely balls and I have none. <laughs> so this other guy was telling me a story and he doesn't like to be recorded. I do find it odd that like 95% of the population dislike the sound of their own voice. Everybody says the same thing. I hate the sound of my voice. I don't, I don't, want, I don't like the sound of my voice. And it's like, how do we universally hate the sound of our own voices? It's bizarre. Anyway, he was telling this story. He said he was driving to work and he was, you know, running a little behind and uh, he was in the fast lane and there was a car in front of him that was driving like 30 miles under the speed limit. And he's like, come on, man, what's that? Uh, you're in the speed lane. What are you? And he was kind of weaving and then he's wondering, oh my gosh, what if they're drunk? You know, it's during the day, but you, you know, you can have drunks anytime. So, he gets out of that lane and is passing this stupid, slow, weaving car. And he has to look to see what, you know, the driver's doing. And there was a woman in the car. And he said she was, she was leaned over really far. And she was driving with her forearms steering. And she was flossing her teeth. He's like, oh, you're got to be kidding me. You're flossing your teeth while you're driving. When we first met, I thought I spoke French, and he 
kind of thought he spoke English, right. but really it turns out neither of us spoke the other language. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I guess this is like we're going to get married, or we probably were married by that time. It's only about a year and a half that we know each other. And um, I remember him saying that, you know, on American TV, there's such prudes, you can't say shit, you can't say bitch, you can't say damn. And I said, well, you know, that's okay. He goes, but, but you can say asshole. And I go, oh, no, 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 you can't say asshole on TV. I'm thinking Saturday Night Live, yeah, no, cable, no. And um, so, so we're sitting down watching the news and then the traffic report comes on. He goes, okay, okay, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I'm like, hear what? He goes, they just said that there's a lot of assholes on the highway. <laughs> and I said, they didn't say assholes. They, they, say? they said hassles, hassles on the highway. <laughs> But we lived in D.C., so he was pretty much right. There were a lot of vassals on that. It's the summertime, and sometimes in the summer I get to go to different destinations that I normally get to go to, which is nice, refreshing, you know, it's kind of fun. So I was recently on a trip uh, in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany, which I don't normally get to go to, and uh, we stay in a little a little town there, and... Um, uh, I was, I had done some walking and looking around, and I had sat down at this little cafe, and um, it was called the Schwan Cafe. Anyway, it was kind of nice outdoor cafe, and uh, like on a on a um, walk street, so there weren't any cars. And I I just love the randomness of life. I'm sitting there. And I was writing because I've been writing fiction. I've been enjoying that, by the way. I actually think uh, I was going to write short stories. And uh, this one story that I was writing, sort of writing itself, uh, I'm thinking it's going to be a novel because it's getting pretty long and it uh, keeps going. <laughs> so anyway, I was sitting in this cafe writing and uh, like a, a young woman, maybe like 25, opens her third floor balcony. Uh, she's lives above this walk street where there's cafes and she starts blowing bubbles slowly and watching them just drift past the trees and down towards the people walking on the walk street and the cafes and you know in our tech driven world you know blowing random bubbles and watching them fall just seems so sweet and beautiful and Refreshing. Well, uh, I was working a flight to Charleston, and I was on the cart, and a person, in, a man in economy class wanted to get my attention. Right. So he hit me with his newspaper, oh. and I was kind of shocked. So I, angry? I wasn't angry. I was just more shocked. Yeah. So I bent down, and I said, no, we don't. We don't hit here. No, we don't. No, we don't. He was embarrassed, to say the least. He was very embarrassed. I have enough seniority that I don't uh, really have to work on those little planes doing the little flights anymore, but I commute to work on them. And, you know, when I commute to work, I'm in my uniform. I have my ID on. I'm standing in the back 
sort of homeless by the bathroom. So the passengers getting on the plane, they there's no way and there's no way they should be able to tell that I'm not working. I'm I'm standing there. I've got my uniform on. Why wouldn't they think I'm working, right? Uh, so unfortunately, I sort of have to like, you know, answer complaints and I have to do stuff sometimes when I'm not working because I I'm there and I'm a uniform on, right? Okay, it's part of the deal. So uh, I'm commuting to work on a 717. It's a little plane and it has this uh, design flaw problem, glitch. I don't know what you want to call it, but it the the air conditioning, it, it just uh, has a lot of condensation. Uh, it has to work so hard in the summer, you know, I don't know. All I know is that it drips on people. And it's a problem. And it drips on the people in the back of the plane, back by the bathrooms, back where I'm standing. That's just part of the deal. Sometimes it's a man and he says water, but people in general don't like things dripping on them. <laughs> just as a general rule. <laughs> but sometimes if it's a man, they'll be pretty cool about it. Uh, sometimes if it's a woman, they're really uh, pretty upset about it. And uh, the reason why I'm on the jump seat is because there aren't any seats, so I can't move them anywhere else. Uh, lots of times the flight attendant who's working the flight is out in the aisles helping with baggage and stuff. So I'm standing there, and I'm the one basically having to deal with the dripping plane. I have to apologize for the dripping plane. <laughs> the leaking plane. <laughs> So uh, I see where it's dripping. Sometimes it's in the last row. Sometimes it's in the second to last row. And I see it dripping. It's in the second last row at the window. And I'm thinking, oh, hope it's a nice person that sits there. <laughs> I know I'm going to have to deal with this. And, you know, uh, I'm standing there. I'm very observant. And I'm watching the people get on the plane, crossing my fingers. It's going to be a nice person sitting in the uh, <laughs> rainforest seat. <laughs> And I see a woman coming with a bright blue rain hat on, like a floppy hat, like a large, floppy, bright blue. It looks like a rain hat. And I was thinking, oh, please let it be her. Oh, please let it be her. Oh, please let her sit in the rain seat. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? I mean, really, what are the chances? There's nobody else on the entire plane wearing a rain hat. There's nobody else wearing a floppy hat. And who sits down in the rain seat but the floppy hat girl? <laughs> Sometimes things work out. We're on the flight from Philly to London. This older couple comes on board. They're in first class. This woman likes, looks like she's about ready to kill over and die at any second. Yeah. And I'm concerned. And I ask them, are you going to be okay to travel? Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. We're going home. Air Marshal even says to me, are they going to be okay to, to fly? I'm like, look, I've asked them, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do. So as a last resort, the red coat comes on, he brings me the paperwork, and I said, look, I'm, con I'm concerned this couple is not safe to fly. Nothing we can do about it. They say they are. We can't do anything about it. Okay. So I tell my crew, if I say get the equipment, I want you to bring everything we've got up there AED yes everything so it's about five minutes before I'm supposed to go on break and sure enough she stands up and she falls back in her seat and I'm like oh shit so I go up to her I said ma'am can I help you and she says yeah I need to go to the bathroom I said okay so I try to help her up and she screams oh and then she, I'm like I have to put her back in a seat 
She's they're in the front row, and it's just it's close, yeah, real close to the bathroom. So we get her up. She literally gets to that wall, which is two feet in front of where she was, and then foams at the mouth and goes out. And I'm like, shit. Lay her on the floor, and I run in the back, and I go, get the equipment now. Yeah, just like you told her to. I got told to. And sure enough, everything starts coming up. We can't get a pulse on this lady. I've already got the defibrillator. I got it turned on. I got the pads. I already oh. popped her top. She didn't have a bra on. Aww. Well, that's good you didn't have the bra on. You yeah, know, I didn't have to didn't worry have about cutting that. Out. I was always worried about cutting the, somebody's bra. Oh, she didn't have any nipple rings, so I didn't have to cut that <laughs> off. It's <laughs> so funny. We all think that. We're like, oh, I don't want to have to do any of that. <laughs> yeah. So, it, the, the story ends up kind of funny. She's British. And her husband. So, I've got... Two federal air marshals assisting me. I've got the um, headset, on. headset on, talking yeah. to the ground um, medical assistance medical team. And, you know, the defibrillator's not telling me to shock, but we don't have a pulse. She foamed so at the mouth. She, I'm like, screw it, I'm, I'm doing CPR. Yeah. So I get about 20 compressions and she comes back. Oh, good. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, thank goodness. So, Got with sweat coming off the barrel <laughs> at this point. It's so scary. Yeah, and I, one of my coworkers is sitting there with her husband. You know, he, Tom's got it. He's taking good care of your wife. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, everybody worked great as a team. Yeah. So, the medical team on the ground says, "Don't let her move. Keep her on the on the floor. Keep her comfortable. Keep her warm, but don't let her move." Um, and, right and, we're, so, and we're diverting to Shannon now. Yeah. And they're going to take care of her at Shannon. So, once we got her back, she looks up at me and she goes, or says to me, I don't think I like you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, it's okay, ma'am. I just saved your life. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe she said that. I know. I love that. I don't think I like you. I don't think I like you. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>